So let's turn together then to uh, Psalm 3. It's on page 544 if you're using a church Bible. Uh, Psalm 3. And this is God's word. A psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Let's pray together. O Lord, now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts bless your name. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I wonder what keeps you awake at night. If you're anything like me, it doesn't take terribly much to keep you awake at night. Um, it doesn't take me to be worried about very much for me to be up for long periods of time. Maybe it's an exam the next day or a test or a medical appointment. Um, for me, even something as simple as knowing that I have to be up early the next morning is enough to keep me awake worrying about that and it just makes the whole situation in the morning even worse. By contrast, my wife, Justine, hits the pillow, and within 15, maybe 20 seconds, she is asleep. And obviously, I'm delighted for her. <laughs> but I must say one thing. If Justine is awake after about five minutes, I know that there's something seriously worrying her, because that is not normal. And in Psalm 3, which we read today, King David, well, he had a lot to keep him up at night. He'd been through a lot. We didn't get to read all of it because Michaela would have been reading about five chapters worth if we did. But basically what happened was this. About five years before what we read about in 2 Samuel 15, one of David's sons, Amnon, fell in love with his half-sister, Tamar. Now, she didn't reciprocate that love, and so Amnon makes the horrible decision of raping her. And she runs off to her, her full brother, one of David's other sons, Absalom, who we did read about. And Absalom is understandably furious about all this. And two years later, he murders Amnon as revenge for his sister. Now, that means Absalom has to flee, and he flees away to avoid the wrath of his other brothers and his father. Now, I don't know if you can put yourself in King David's shoes, but that's quite a lot going on in your family. It's quite dramatic. But David, he loves Absalom, so even though he'd killed one of his other sons, David longs for Absalom to come back. And after three years, he does. But we read it. Absalom, he didn't come back just to make up with his father. When he quite literally gets away with murder, he sets his sights on the throne. 
He wants to take the throne of his father. He gets himself horses and chariots. He goes out very early each morning and he stands at the edge of the city. He meets people who are coming to Jerusalem to see David, to see their king, to decide on various cases, to help them get justice. And he says, oh, there's no one in the palace to hear you today. Oh, if only I were the judge, if only I were the king, I think you've got a really great case. I'd make sure you get justice. And so we read in verse 6 of 2 Samuel 15, Absalom behaved in this way towards all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And so he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So he's popular. Um, He goes out of Jerusalem under the pretense that he's going to Hebron to worship. And he takes a big crowd of people with him. But his real intention is to have the trumpets blown and for the people to proclaim that he is the king. And David hears about this. He realizes he isn't safe in Jerusalem. The people are on his son's side. So he decides to run away. He takes the ark of God with him to get out of the city. But he tells Zadok the priest, no, take it back into the city. Because that's where the Lord said it should stay. So David, he's not on his throne anymore. He's not near to the ark of God anymore. The ark which represented the presence of God. He's on the run. And the last verse we read pretty much sums up how he's feeling about all this. But David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went up. So that's what is going on in Psalm 3. The little um, subtitle that we have there, it's part of the original Hebrew text. It hasn't been added or anything like that. A Psalm of David when he fled from his son, Absalom. David has plenty to worry about. He's been through a lot in his life. If you think back, you know, King Saul is dead and gone by this stage, but he's tried to kill David a few times and he's had his army go out on a full-blown manhunt to get him. And now all this, David has plenty to keep him awake at night. And yet, in the middle of this Psalm, we read some amazing words. I lie down and sleep. I lie down and sleep, I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. I'm not sure how David can say that. Um, I'm not sure if you or I were faced with the same circumstances that we would say the same. But Psalm 3 tells us this morning that when sleepless nights come, God's people can know peace. We're going to see that in three ways this morning. When sleepless nights come, God's people can know peace. We can know peace in the God who hears, peace in the God who protects, and peace in the God who saves. So firstly, peace in the God who hears. The very first thing that David does in this psalm is simply to tell God what's going on. Verses 1 and 2. O Lord, how many are my foes, how many rise up against me. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. The root of the problem that David has here, he's not just worried about Absalom, his son. He's not worried about being out on the road and the dangers that might bring. He's not bothered about being away from his palace. His main worry is the sheer number of people who are with Absalom, 10,000 on each side. The sheer number of people in Israel who don't want him to be the king anymore. And what's more, these people believe they have God on their side. You know, they're saying, no, God will not deliver that David one. It's not just what one or two people have said to David. He feels like he's surrounded by everybody, that the world is against him. 
I wonder if you've ever felt like that, that the world seems to just be against you. What's more, at the center of all this, the person who's instigated it all is his own son. What does he do? He talks to God. He tells God about his problems. Why does he do that? Well, at another time in David's life, um, he faced a similar situation and he wrote Psalm 55. And have a listen to what he says then. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me and I'm distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. But later on in the psalm, he simply says this, verse 22, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. What happens in both these psalms is David tells the Lord what his problems are, simply that. In Psalm 3, there's just there's loads of people out there against me. I feel like I'm surrounded. In Psalm 55, it's mental anguish. He says, my thoughts trouble me. I'm distraught because of what my enemy is saying. Now, the Lord knows all of that already because he knows what's going on, but David tells him anyway because it's simply enough to be heard by God to know peace with God. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. Not cast your cares on the Lord and then get the answer you want and then you'll be sustained and then you'll feel better. No, it's enough simply to be heard by the God who hears our prayers. Cast your burden on him and he will sustain you. The old hymn puts it so well, doesn't it? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. It's enough just to tell him about it. I'm sure you've been in a scenario where you've said something to someone and, and you know that they haven't listened. Um, you might as well be talking to the wall, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I don't know how often I've said to my children something like, you know, don't play too close to the edge of that, you might fall. You know what happens a couple of minutes later, I'm picking them up off the floor because they've played too close to the edge and they have fallen. Uh, back in the, in the 1930s, the American president, Franklin D. Roosevelt, tried out a little experiment famously. He suspected that when he went out to meet people and he was shaking lots of hands, he suspected that they weren't really listening to him. So he decided to test his theory. I don't know if you know the story. One evening he decided there was a line of about 40 people lining up to meet him. And as he went up to each one of them, he put a big smile on his face, extended his hand out to him and said, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And people just responded in the normal way. They said, oh, how lovely, and continue on with your great work, Mr. President. Except for one foreign diplomat who just simply smiled back and said, well, I'm sure she had it coming. <laughs> but no one else listened. Now, that's a silly example, but when we have a problem and when we're hurting in some way, when we want to speak to someone and they don't want to listen to us, that can be really discouraging, can't it? Maybe you've had that experience where you just want to talk about something, but the other person just wants to talk about them. Or you're pouring your heart out to somebody and the other person is flicking on their phone or looking out the window or just changes the subject. Or you have a problem at work and you go, you make the problem known to your supervisor, you voice your concerns and nothing happens. No changes are made, the problem isn't addressed, you've spoken up, but it can hurt us. It can be really discouraging. But bringing our problems to the Lord isn't like that. Even if the situation doesn't get better, even if there seems like there's no solution to the problem, when we cast our cares on the Lord, simply by doing that, 
he sustains us. Um, on Friday past, Justine and I had uh, the sad duty of going to a funeral of somebody who um, grew up in church with us. It was a girl, she was 37. Um, a couple of months ago, she was, she was well, but sadly she was diagnosed with two inoperable brain tumors a couple of months ago, and uh, she died last Saturday. And obviously it was a, a very, very sad occasion, and the minister was making the point that you know she was a believer, so we have hope that she is with the Lord today. But he said something that really stood out to me. He said, you know, don't get me wrong here. Just because we have that hope, it doesn't mean this isn't sad. Of course, it's incredibly sad. It's a disaster. It's incredibly sad. And we have things to say to God that aren't easy. And we have questions for God that we might not get the answers to this side of eternity. And that's okay. It's enough to put those questions out there to them. In fact, we shouldn't keep them inside. We should put those questions out there to God and let them hang there because there is comfort in that. It's only in putting them out there that we can acknowledge exactly how we feel but also receive the hope of life that he gives us. No wonder then when Paul was writing to the Philippians, he wrote these words which are often quoted, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, I, I used to be a little bit confused by those words, if I'm being honest. I mean, they're the sort of words that they look nice on a, a bookmark or a picture that somebody might give you. But could Paul really be telling us never, ever to be anxious? I mean, surely Jesus himself, you know, when, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was pretty stressed. He sweated blood. But what did he do in that moment? He prayed. He prayed. And, and I think what Paul is saying here is, look, don't just sit there being anxious. No, pray. Being anxious on its own isn't going to help, but instead, in everything, bring your requests to God. Then the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will be yours. It's not that you won't ever be anxious about that thing again. It's not that the problem will necessarily just disappear. But God's people, who have his spirit working in them, can know the peace of God simply by bringing our problems, our cares, our burdens to the Lord who hears us when we pray. So David can sleep at night because he has peace in the God who hears. But secondly, he has peace in the God who protects. He recognizes that even though he has so many enemies around him, God is the one who will protect him. Verses 3 and 4 say, But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. There's actually a, a really significant statement here because David was a king. We see this a lot through the Psalms where this kind of military or royal language is used, but David was well used to going into battle with a shield, with all kinds of armor, with men around him, with shields to protect him. He knew the glory of being a king. He knew that it was his place to bestow glory on others, to appoint them to various positions within his government. He knew what it was to, to lift up a head because in those days, people who came in to see a king or a queen, they would have bowed down with their head to the ground and, and they would only look up to the throne if they were welcome to, if, if they were invited to, if the king or queen sometimes physically lifted up their head or maybe signaled in some way that they could do that. 
But David had all these things in his earthly life. He had a shield, he had power, he had glory, but he wasn't relying on them to save him. He was relying on the Lord to to be his shield, to glorify him, to bring him back to the throne, to move him back to a position of security. And amazingly, he even has the confidence before God to lift his head, to look to God and find protection with him. David wasn't afraid because he valued God more than anything else on earth and, and nothing on earth could ever take God away from him. This is something that we have the privilege of. All believers have the privilege of this. We don't have time to look at it now, but in Revelation chapter one, when John sees the risen, exalted Jesus, he falls down. But the Lord reaches out his hand to him and says, get up, (laughs) look, write down everything you see. He lifts up his head. This is what we have if we belong to Jesus. We come to the Lord for that protection, to know him as our shield. Now, I want to be just a little bit careful in saying that because just because he's our shield, of course, it doesn't mean that nothing will ever hurt us. Um, One of my favorite things that Jesus uh, says, I love that bit in Luke chapter 21, um, where he says, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you will be put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. How can he say that? How can he say some of you will be put to death, but not a hair of your head? No, not a hair of your head will perish. It doesn't seem to make any sense, except it does when we realize that he's talking about the new life that we have in him. No one can touch that. It makes perfect sense that he then later says, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. The end of Psalm 23 says, Surely goodness and love and kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It doesn't always feel like goodness and love and kindness are following us around, does it? But that is the reality when we know the God who protects us. He is, as we'll sing in a few minutes from now, he's firm through the fiercest drought and storm. The drought and the storm still happen. They still happen, but he is firm through those things. Paul said to the Colossians, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Sometimes when things are tough, the best thing that we can do is simply to come to God for protection and hide in him. But we're inclined to hide in other things, aren't we? We hide in in addictive things. We hide in scrolling endlessly on social media. Some people hide in food. They find refuge in sex or pornography or they hide behind a false confidence, this face that we put on to pretend we're okay. They find refuge in the praise of other people, whatever it is. Not all of those things are awful things. Some of them are, but others in moderation are, are, are good gifts from God. I have to say, if I've had a hard day, you know, I find a really good, strong cup of tea and some chocolate goes a long, long way. It really does, but only so much. We've died to this world and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. He's our shield. So let's not shield ourselves in other things. Let's instead trust in him and the newness of life he's given us. David finds peace in the God who hears, peace in the God who protects, and then finally he finds peace in the God who saves. Verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 3, and I'm reading the ESV here. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. 
You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on all people. So David has known peace by simply casting his problems on God through trusting him to protect him even when times are rough. It's probably not surprising then to see that he does also ask God to save him. You know, it's natural. But notice that David does this right at the end of the psalm where we might be tempted when we're praying in a tough situation to to put this up front, to ask God to save us. David puts it last. But these verses don't need much explanation. He asks God to save him. Fair enough. But as we finish off this morning, I suppose I want to ask, how do we actually do this? How do we actually experience the peace of God who hears and the God who protects and the God who saves? Because in the case of a God who hears, well, we need to speak to him. And again, oh, those, those great words, oh, what peace we often forfeit, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We can, we, we can come to him. We don't need to have the answers to our problems. We, we come just as we are. Don't be anxious, but bring your request to God and you will know the peace that passes all understanding. But how do we know the peace of God protecting us? How do we know the peace of the God who saves us? Because we do know these truths. They're in our head generally, but they're a bit abstract. You know, Speaking out to a God who hears, well, that's okay. That, that's something concrete that I can do. But hiding in God for protection, knowing that protection and, and trusting him to save us, how do we do that? Well, remember what David said, I lie down and sleep, I wake again because the Lord sustains me, I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. I didn't notice it until a commentary pointed it out this week, but do you notice how he says, I will not fear? He doesn't say, I'm not afraid. He doesn't say, I'm not scared. He doesn't say, I'm actually managing quite well with this. You know, this is quite good. I'm sleeping well. No, he's not speaking about the present. He's speaking about the future. He's resolving to himself, I will not fear. And what he does all through this psalm is he's reminding himself of the truth that he knows. He's effectively preaching to himself that God is his shield, that salvation belongs to the Lord. And I think this is a pretty good pattern. You know, it's not that we'll never ever be anxious. It's not that we'll never lose any sleep. But we can resolve not to fear. We can remind ourselves of these great truths. Of course, these truths come, to alive, come alive to us when we realize that they've come to us in Jesus Christ. Because we don't just pray to a God who hears, but we pray in the name of our Savior Jesus who intercedes for us, who's taken away the punishment for our sins so that actually when we pray, we effectively stand as he stands before the throne of grace in glory. There's no veil, there's no curtain anymore between us and him. When we say that he hears our prayers, we're talking about direct access to the God of the universe without the weight of sin causing him to to turn his face from us or to close his ear to us or to put a veil in the way. No, we have direct access. When we say that we have a God who protects us in Jesus, all our enemies, all the things that are against us, sin and sickness and death, they've already been defeated. And he sent his spirit, not a spirit of timidity, but of power, and he lives in us. We're united to Christ and we share in Christ's victory because of that union. 
And when we say that we have a God who saves, in Jesus we have the God who has saved us and in whom we have the hope that he will one day finally save us and bring us into eternal life. So when we face hard times in our lives, we need to preach these things to ourselves. We need to resolve in the Spirit with his help not to be afraid. How do we preach these things to ourselves? Well, it it does happen through turning up to church Sunday by Sunday, but it also happens through reading the Word for ourselves. It happens when we speak truths to ourselves. That might be through reciting the words of a song to ourselves because we tend to remember the words of songs, don't we? That definitely works for me. But the bottom line is that we remind ourselves of the truth. We resolve to trust in the one who won't let us down. What came to your mind earlier when I asked you what keeps you awake at night? What really occupies your mind as you lie there? What worries you? Whatever it is for you, tell the Lord about it. He already knows, but tell him anyway and know the peace of the God who hears our prayers. Remind yourself that nothing on earth can give you the protection that he can and know the peace of the God who protects. And look to Jesus and remind yourself of what he's done for you and cling on to those truths and find peace in the God who saves. When sleepless nights come, God's people no peace. Let's pray together. Our God, we confess that often we are anxious and we worry because we try to carry burdens on our own rather than taking them to you. And Lord, this morning we know that you know the circumstances of each of our lives. You know what worries us. You know how it affects us, whether that is in our sleep, but maybe it's in other ways when we're awake. Lord, we ask that you would give us your peace. Help us to cast our cares on you. Help us to cling to the truths of who you are and what you've done for us and how you have saved us and protect us in Christ. And help us to lean less and less on ourselves and on things on this earth, but more and more on the everlasting arms. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.